Chapter 32 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 32 Another Visitor. When Hilda returned from her first day's work at Mr. Pinch's, it was with her hopes a little dampened. She had seen nothing of Mary Griffin or Mary Griffin's friends, who had, she supposed, gone to work on Friday. Neither did the character of the work prove what she had been led to look for from the advertisement. She had been set to sew at overalls. All the girls in the room were working at overalls. They were every one strangers to her and strangers to the store, having only commenced that morning, like herself. Still, Mr. Pinch spoke fair, and she was sure all was right. He could not yet name the wages, but told her she might make sure of being paid according to her work, and a good fair price and as she had made up her mind to keep up to the mark, a favorite expression of Hilda's, she didn't fear but that she would come out with the best of them. According to the plan proposed, Mabel had not gone to offer her partial rent to the landlord. A visit from Brumbley was then to be looked for that evening, if he concluded to be good at his word. It is possible that Hilda was more discouraged through her day's experience of her new place than she was willing to acknowledge, for she no longer spoke with indifference of the probable visit of the house agent. All her old terror of this man revived. Nor was Mabel without sympathy in it, though she made every effort to preserve her customary composure. "'It is possible he won't come, don't you think so?' questioned Hilda, with a look which a good deal contradicted her own belief in this possible. "'I think he will,' was the reply." From all I have seen of the man, I believe him one to act up to his threat. Mabel, suppose he turns us out. Think of Lily. I have thought of it all. Still, I hope, I trust, to get one week's grace out of him. All there is left us is to try for it. Lily was more feeble today than Mabel had yet seen her, though not suffering so intensely as she had latterly done and she lay in a quiet state, as the shades of evening closed around, noticing little of what passed about her. Her eyes were fixed, in a half-dreamy way, upon Mabel, as the latter busied herself at her ironing-table. But they did not glance from one to the other of her sisters, as they whispered, in the way customary with her. Minutes passed on minutes, and the hour of seven sounded. Hilda looked up to Mabel from the old dress she was repairing, and the latter paused in her ironing. Full seven, said Hilda, in an emphatic whisper. I begin to breathe, Mabel. Somehow, I've said to myself from the first, when it comes to seven, I'll believe we're clear, for this time, of the bugbear. Mabel had, perhaps, said to herself something of the same sort, for her eyes were looking brighter now, and an expression of infinite relief was on her countenance as she glanced in the direction of Lily's bed. With every moment I shall be better satisfied, she said. There is no reason, I can see, why, if the visit was to be made, it should not have been made long ago. Of course not. Business hours are over now. This old Brumbley's not going to spoil his supper for us, however pleasant he might find it to give us a fright. We're all right, Mabel. All right for this time, come what may tomorrow. Almost as she spoke, the outside door of the house opened and noisily closed again. A dead silence followed. "'It's he,' said Hilda, under her breath. 
Mabel did not reply. She was looking uneasily in the direction of Lily, fearful of her being startled from her partial slumber by the unusual sound. The silence below was broken by a shuffling step along the narrow entry. Then came the uncertain tread of a foot ascending the stair. Mabel put the iron from her hand and went noiselessly to the side of her little charge. She bent down her ear to Lily's lips and found that her breathing was still regular. Then, anticipating the condition of pain and excitement likely to be caused by the coming visit of the house agent, she began to prepare for her unconscious patient a dose of the morphine. Meanwhile, the ascending steps shuffled on and arrived outside the chamber door, and the next moment the knob was turned, and Brumbley entered the room. Just within the door he paused, and slowly looked around him, an ugly gleam in his eye, and something of a mocking smile on his lip. Drawing up with his gaze upon Mabel, as she stood by Lily's pillow, he broke the silence with, I said, if you didn't come to me, I'd come to you, and I never break my word. I was unable to keep the rent entire for you, Mabel replied, composedly as she could, and I hoped it would make little difference if you got it next week instead of today. Is it pay next week? I mean, is the money owing you, and is the person owing it, a reliable person it must be, bound by promise to pay at this time? It is not owing, nor is it promised, except as pay for work to be given. Mabel spoke with her eyes fixed directly upon the ugly face before her, for Brumbley had now approached quite near to where she stood. Then it's the old dodge that I know every turn of, was the rejoinder. But it's played out. I, for one, can't be put on by it. Coming down to simple fact, your rent's overdue and you haven't money to pay it. I have three dollars two shillings, said Mabel. If you will take that now, I have little doubt of being able to pay you the rest in a week's time. No, no, you can't come that dodge neither, replied the man. I have gone through the mill and know what take part today and the rest tomorrow means. It's all or none, all or none. If you haven't all, the move is for you to quit the premises. Quite impossible with a child so ill as this, said Mabel, with a firmness that surprised herself. You must be merciful, Mr. Brumbley, and give us a little time. Look, you, cried the heartless creature, advancing his clenched hand till he brought it directly before Mabel's face. What was my warning to you the day you came about renting this room? What did I say to you, first and last, wasn't it? Don't throw the sick child in my face. Don't throw the sick child in my face. It was, and you know it. Now you've done it. You've thrown at me your sick child, as I said you would, and the dodge won't serve your turn any better than the others. Sick child or no sick child, you leave these premises forthwith, forthwith. A glance from Mabel at her charge discovered Lily with her eyes fixed in a terrified stare upon the house agent. 
The former had been on the watch for this waking, and she now bent down and whispered some reassuring words to the child. It is simply impossible, as I said before, Mr. Brumbley. She then replied to the man, turning to him once more. Common humanity calls for some mercy in a case like this. What do I know about your common humanity? What indeed? I'm proprietor of this house, and look to the interests of the owner. The child shall be carried out, carried out, I tell you, sick or dead. Upon this, little Lily cried out piteously, and for a short time, Mabel's whole attention was given to her. Mabel! Mabel, will he put me out? Oh, oh, will he kill me? No, indeed, my darling, no one shall touch you. Take your medicine, dear Lily, or you will have some of your ugly pains. They're coming now, Mabel. Oh, I feel so bad. Make that naughty man go away, Mabel. Please make him go. Hilda had, until now, been but a looker-on of the scene, not having even moved from the spot where she stood at the time the first sound was made below by the house agent. Great was her terror of this Brumbley, so great as quite to subdue the ready spirit which characterized her. But the appeal of poor Lily aroused her indignation against their oppressor to a point where fear and prudence were left far behind. "'You know nothing of humanity!' she cried, stepping before him with flashing eyes. But decency, at least you're forced to observe. Quit the presence of this poor child this moment. You're injuring her. You're killing her. So, so, you throw the sick child at me too, do you? Tauntingly replied Brumbley, turning the full glare of his ugly eyes upon her. I order you from her presence, cried Hilda excitedly. Instantly leave this room. Instantly leave it. Then you leave this house, the whole trumpery of you, this, no, not this night, for the coward knew he dared not go so far, but by eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I, for one, ain't to be put off by a scolding girl's tongue. I've gone through the mill, and I know every dodge of it. If I find you here after eight tomorrow, I seize everything belonging to you and turn you into the street, off of hand. I'll not leave you the bed your child lies on. Mind you that. Poor little Lily's terror and pain had now reached their culminating point, and Mabel had no moment to give to the scene enacting between the impetuous Hilda and their persecutor. Thus, Hilda was left to conduct the defense of herself and her sister as she thought proper. By that time tomorrow, you piece of inhumanity, she angrily rejoined, I shall be round to your office with the full seven dollars, so we can defy you then and now. Get out of this at once. We can't bear you here another minute, not one. I'll stand to my word, said the mean creature, shuffling off to the door, so you look to it. You'll no more have the money tomorrow than today, and I hold you between my thumb and finger, your sick child, and the rest of it. You shall be turned out. The child shall be turned out. In a momentary lull of her own voice, Lily caught the last words, and sent forth another shriek of terror and of appeal to Mabel. 
Off with you, out of this at once, cried Hilda, following on his footsteps and motioning fiercely to the door. The man turned and scowled at her. I, for one, won't be sorry to see you get your desserts, said he, and I'll give them to you yet. With the last words he reached the door, opened it, and passed out, and to the concluding one Hilda formed a noisy accompaniment by slamming the door upon him, doing this so violently as nearly to pitch him down the stairs. He was, in fact, heard to stumble, and to catch at the balusters with a muttered oath. A sudden and dead calm reigned in the room he had left. Hilda remained perfectly still on the spot from whence she had given her last angry demonstration. Mabel stood pale and trembling by Lily's bedside, and poor Lily, with every sound of pain and terror hushed by a mighty effort, lay like a stricken thing upon the bed. The eyes of the two older sisters were turned upon each other, those of the child upon the door by which had departed the object of her mortal dread. One, two, three minutes passed. Then came the slam of the street door. Brumbley had left the house. "'Gone!' exultantly cried Hilda. "'We're rid of the old bugbear for this time!' Little Lily dropped her strained eyes from the door and began to relieve her pent feelings by the low murmur which was the usual forerunner of her medicine-gained ease. "'Oh, Hilda, what have you done?' cried Mabel. He has gone exasperated beyond anything we can hope to conciliate. What have I done? replied Hilda, still exultantly. Why, I have kept my powder dry. And now, Mabel, I leave to you the part you can so well perform, the trusting in Providence. Not to say, though, but that I shall do a good share of trusting myself. My dear sister, do you not see that by putting him off with this positive promise, you only make our trouble tomorrow more certain? I shall gain time, Mabel, and everybody knows that is good generalship. He's gotten rid of, and darling Lily is getting to sleep, and by and by we shall get some sleep too. But tomorrow, Hilda! What a new thing, Mabel, for you to be troubling yourself so much about tomorrow! Haven't you been long teaching me to hope and trust? Yet now, when I am hoping and trusting, you'd have me desponding. I'm concerned because of the promise, Hilda, and because of your having angered the man so terribly. When he comes again? No doubt it will be in quite as sweet a temper as he came tonight. As far as I can judge, he commenced as like a bear with a sore head as he well could and even if he had been paid his money, it's not likely he'd have overburdened us with civility. Now, it appears to me, if we're sensible girls, we'll just go back to our sewing and ironing and drop the subject of old Brumbley till... Till he comes again, Hilda. Yes, or till I go to him. Stranger things have happened than my keeping this promise, Mabel. Remember the manna and the ravens. Is it too short a time between now and eight o'clock tomorrow for a miracle to be performed? No, no, Mabel. So let us enjoy the present respite from the grip of old shuffle and hope for the best. End of chapter 32